Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about the miracle of autism. Yes, I know you're scratching your head. Did I say something wrong? The miracle of autism? Most people do not consider it a miracle. However, most people are not my guest, Elaine Hall. She has been called by the New York Times the child whisperer. And she has created a a miracle, both in her own child, who she adopted and who turned out to be in the autism spectrum, and to lots of other people's children, in fact, around the world, um, by the uh, project that she created. She was the founder, she is the founder and creator of the Miracle Project. Well, she'll be talking to you about all of these um, as we continue. We're, she's um, known for two books so far. She's known so far for two books, I should say. Um, one called Now I See the Moon, and that was chosen by the United Nations for World Autism Awareness Day and also uh, The Seven Keys to Unlock Autism. So, Elaine, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Dr. Carroll. It is a privilege and joy to be on your couch. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's... You may, may be sorry you said that after... <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of um, ask people, you know, as a psychiatrist, of course, and, and that's just like, I mean, I'm interested in this, and I'm sure my listeners are very interested as well, um, in in the story behind the story, you know the the emotions, and um, I'm sure that that is, um, you know, that, that's in your memoir. Um, now I see the moon, a mother, a son, and the miracle of autism. So let's start with that before we get into. I, I'd like you to take us on a journey of how you got into this to begin with, because before you adopted your son. You were a, a Hollywood acting coach, an A-list Hollywood acting coach. You um, you uh, coached um, adults, and you also wrangled kids. Is that right? Absolutely. I was I was the uh, acting coach um, on 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 feature films, and and at that time, I I did not know from autism. I did not know from autism, and this was uh, 19 years ago, and they didn't have. Shows such as yours actually talking about autism. Um, it was uh, diagnosed in the 1980s as 1 in 10,000, and today it's 1 in 68 are diagnosed with autism. I mean, so let's, let's I was just, a, a Hollywood let's, acting let's, coach. I worked wait, with wait, the biggest... Wait, wait, um, let's just... Elaine, yeah. let me just stop you there for a minute, because I know those figures just boggle my mind, and I'm wondering what you um, think as both a mother of an autistic child and all the work that you've done in the field of autism, how, how do you understand that? What is the best, um, you know, what do you make of that? Why do you think all of a sudden, um, it, well, I mean, it's not totally all of a sudden, but over the years that it, ha- it has increased to, to essentially epidemic proportions? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that, um, Dr. Carroll, one of which is that the diagnosis is broader. The, um, there's, uh, autism is a spectrum, 
right. And there are kids um, like my son who are severely uh, autistic with nonverbal autism, and then there are um, individuals who are highly verbal with um, highly verbal and expressive um, a lot of people in Silicon Valley, actually, <laughs> can be diagnosed. Um, they're highly verbal, highly successful, but they're now included under the autism spectrum uh, diagnosis. So one of them is actually that the diagnosis has broadened. The other is sort of the enigma in that we really don't know. There are scientists out there that are exploring uh, all the different possibilities. Is it toxins in the environment? Is it uh, a genetic component? Is it, um, there's so many different reasons and so many different studies that I simplify it in that what I'm concerned with is helping families today, right now, live the most joyous, supportive, extraordinary, miraculous lives they can possibly lead. Yes. Um, I know. I, I mean, the toxins in the environment do seem... Um, certainly to enter into it, if not to be the whole cause. And I personally have not ruled out, and I know this is very controversial, but um, I don't think that it has been, I, I'd like to hear you, what you think, but I don't think, in my mind, it hasn't been 100% ruled out that it doesn't have something to do with um, vaccines, and uh, which could, in a sense, be considered toxins in our environment as well. I mean, I know actually people who... Uh, have autistic children or are very involved, you know, a lot of people don't want to believe that. What do you think? There's so many different um, studies that show pros and cons, mm -hmm. and I think it's up to each individual and their own doctor mm -hmm. what they decide for their, for their children. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I had adopted a little boy from an orphanage in Russia. Yes, yeah, let's, really start, let's, start with your, let's start with your story. Once yeah. upon a time, <laughs> there you were happily being an acting coach in Hollywood, and um, you were in your 40s, right? Yes. And you were married, and yes. you had had a number of miscarriages, yes. and um, it, <laughs> you weren't getting any younger. <laughs> time was passing, shall we say, where none of us are getting any younger. But time was passing, and the time, the ideal time to have a baby was kind of upon you. So how did you decide what course of action to take? Well, what happened is I obviously wanted to give birth biologically. However, my entire life, I thought that I would birth one child biologically and then adopt others. Little did I know that the first part of the story wasn't going to happen. That's interesting. And even though I was incredibly happy and very successful in, in Hollywood as an acting coach, when I would see a two-year-old in a tutu, it would bring me to tears. Uh -huh. And everybody called me Coach E, and I wanted to be called Mama. So when I had two unsuccessful pregnancies, I felt in my heart it was time to not birth a child, but to be a mama. And I wanted a child since I couldn't bear, you know, bring forth my, my biological heritage. My family is from Eastern Europe, Soviet oh, uh -huh. Union. And I thought if I can't bring forth my grandfather's eyes <laughs> and my father's talent for music, perhaps I could bring a child that my, my grandfather was an orphan in, in Russia. 
huh. came to the United States himself. And I thought, well, maybe I could bring his legacy to light and um, adopt a child from, from my, my heritage. My heritage is Russian heritage. And so I got on an airplane and went to... Um, What's now, you know, the, the former Soviet Union to Ekaterinburg, Russia, and met my little boy. Well, now, how, when you say you met your little boy, had this, had you chosen him from pictures beforehand, or were you going there to, to look at a number of little children and, and decide, or how did that happen? So it's actually a very um, powerful story, Dr. Carroll. Um, I was in Washington, D.C., looking at videos. Uh, there was a woman named Deborah McFadden who helped to uh, coordinate uh, international adoptions. And I was looking at videos of children, and this is all in, in my memoir. And it was, you know, I, ca- I call it now, I call it like, you know, like um, uh, Internet dating. <laughs> I was looking yeah. at videos of children. And um, I was married at the time, and my husband actually spotted, we, we spotted this beautiful little boy and um, said, yeah, he, that's our boy. And uh, within 15 minutes after spotting him, I started getting cramping and was rushed to the emergency room with another ectopic pregnancy. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Huh. And as we were, um, as I was coming out of the surgery, um, my husband at the time actually played a video, the video of, of my son. Hmm. And today I like to think that, that I would, gave birth right there uh-huh. in, in that hospital because I, I was watching the video as I was coming out of anesthesia. That, oh, that's a beautiful story. So, okay, but you didn't really, I mean, how much of a video was it, or how much did you get to see him? Do, he was two at the time, right? Yes, yes. Um, actually, so how, with the video, he was about 18 months, uh-huh. and uh, I, I was able to go to Russia about, uh, well, he was 23 months when I actually went to Russia. So he was Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, so was there still, like, was it still, had you made a commitment to choose him, or when you went there, was it still... You know that you would meet him and see if you um, if you still felt that strongly about him. I knew in my heart that he was my child. Um, it, it, if someone had said no, then because um, we did have you know some medical professionals looking at the videos and saying you know he's not walking very well. He's mm. you know may not be talking all that well. But all I knew was in my heart that he was my child. Huh. And the first second that I laid eyes on him, uh, I mean, anyone could have told me anything, and I, I would, he was my son. Uh-huh. Um, there's actually a movie called Autism the Musical that documented my, um, uh, my, whole, my, my process, and you can see the minute that he and I met each other in this, in this DVD, and um, he ran into my arms. We started rolling on the floor, and he was my boy. Oh, wow. He was my boy. My mom, may she rest in peace, likes to say he was waiting for me. Uh-huh. Well, you know, that's so interesting because that isn't typical of, of course, there's a whole spectrum, as you were saying, about, you know, of, of autism and all that, but it isn't really typical for a child to um, run into, your, into a person's arms like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, they said that too at the orphanage. They hadn't seen that before. I think because of all my years of training and working with children, I didn't come forward. And and this is something good for listeners, you know, of, of parents who who are adopting children. Um, I didn't come to him. I stayed back and just felt love. And he ran to me. Hmm. And I think that's important: is to let them come to us. Hmm. Okay, so even though a, some, a couple of doctors had said that, you know, had cautioned you somewhat, um, you know, <laughs> there was, as you said, he, he was your boy and, and you still felt that way. So when did you start, um, when did you start having some concerns? So as soon as we got him home, he was doing kind of seemingly bizarre behaviors. He would spin around in circles. Uh, he'd stare at his hand for hours at a time. He'd open and close drawers. He stuffed his face with food and broccoli and would keep broccoli in his cheeks without, um, you know, without e- eating them. And I had excuses for everything. The broccoli in his cheeks, I understood, was because there wasn't enough food in the orphanage, mm. and he was very resourceful. He would put things in his mouth and get them quickly so that um, to, to be able to eat it later. Uh-huh. I mean, he was a genius, really, uh-huh. in terms of um, surviving. Yeah. Um, yeah, and um, so that we worked on. He was also incredibly sick when I got him home. He had um, liver toxicity and scurvy and malnutrition and, you know, you name it. He had it. And so really spent the first six months just getting him healthy. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and now I see the moon. You know, we described that whole process of going, you know, from uh, medical doctor to medical doctor to really help him be healthy and finally um, using alternative ways and just really good food and, um, you know, helping him to be healthy. And that passed. And then, as my doctor would say, you know, he's really healthy now. He looked like a California surfer, surfer dude. <laughs> But uh-huh. he wasn't making eye contact, and he would, was isolated and would go in his own world. Now, this was 19 years ago, so we were not talking about autism. Mm. You mm-hmm. know, the signs, even though the signs are glaring, uh-huh. back then they weren't. Uh-huh. And doctors would say, "We, you know, he'll catch up. He's just been in an orphanage. He'll catch up. So that's what I thought. He'll catch up. Uh-huh. Until finally, he was two years and ten months old, and um, my doctor said, uh, Dr. Harvey Karp, uh, said, uh, you're about to go on a journey, and it's not something that you have planned, and it's different than anything you would imagine, but it's going to be an extraordinary journey. And he put me on the path for autism. Huh. I mean, yes, it's true. That makes so much of a difference when... When I mean, people are more familiar with the signs now, and there's more there's more doctors even are more aware and so on now. I mean, that must have been really isolating for you as a mother, um, you know, finding out this diagnosis and not really knowing other people, I presume, who um, who who had children with this. It was very isolating in the beginning, uh, yes, and the Internet had just started up, and what I did is I got on the Internet and just started researching every single thing I could possibly research about autism, about institutionalized children, mm-hmm. about the parallels, 
and mm-hmm. um, got in. First, I grieved. I grieved for about three weeks. I sat outside and just cried. But I cried not. I cried for my own dream of what I thought my life was going to be. Mm-hmm. I um, I write in my book how all I ever wanted was normal, and uh, my life was going to not be normal. Mm-hmm. And I um, I grieved for that that vision. But I didn't grieve my child because I had this beautiful boy with me, and I just wanted to get into action to learn how I could be the best mom for him I could be. And I fortunately um, was in a, uh, a preschool program, got him in a preschool program that really wasn't right for him. It was very uh, controlling and, and um, uh, very behavioral-oriented, and uh, he would get really anxious. And I found a doctor in Maryland, Dr. Stanley Greenspan, who was doing an alternative relationship-based approach to working with children with autism. Okay. Um, Well, Elaine, I need to stop you there because we need to take a break. This is a a fascinating and beautiful story that we're we're beginning. Um, I'm talking with Elaine Hall. She's the founder and the creator of The Miracle Project. Uh, She's also the author of two books. Seven Keys to Unlock Autism, and Now I See the Moon, A Mother, a Son, and the Miracle of Autism. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about the miracle of autism. And now you're beginning to see why um, I've called it the miracle of autism. And actually, actually, you're just beginning to see that. There's a lot more. My guest is Elaine Hall. Um, she is the founder and creator of The Miracle Project and um, the author of two books. And she was telling us her story, how she went from being a uh, top Hollywood acting coach um, to adopting a child who turned out to be diagnosed with autism. Um, 
and how she wrote about that in her book, Now I See the Moon, A Mother, a Son, and the Miracle of Autism. And I, I just want you to tell people where you got that title from because it's so beautiful. I got the title Now I See the Moon from a Japanese haiku. The, the basics of the poem is barn burned down, now I can see the moon. And that was my life. As I mentioned before, I wanted normal, barn. I wanted all of the things and the fluff of life. When my barn burned down, I could see the essence and the reality and the truth of life. And my life became so much more meaningful. I was able to see the moon. Yes, that's <laughs> that's such a beautiful concept. In other words, you know, finding something beautiful. I mean, there, there's some there's beauty in the in the in the barn burning down. And in fact, I mean, this has changed the whole course of your life, and it has um, enabled you to cause bring miracles to other people and other families with autism. But before we get there, <laughs> continue mm-hmm. with your story. Um, you were talking about how you, once you had the diagnosis, how you went about trying to find the proper, um, the proper path. I don't want to call it necessarily treatment, but the proper path. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it, um, Dr. Carroll, the proper path. Um, I, I found a doctor in Maryland, Dr. Stanley Greenspan. I mean, he rest in peace, but he was doing alternative relationship-based interventions for individuals with autism. And he believed and felt that all of their behaviors were meaningful. And it was about us, the sort of neurotypicals, to understand autism. I also learned from Dr. Barry Prezant, who um, was, again, his, his, one of his key phrases is that all behavior is communication. And I started looking at the behaviors of my son and realizing and questioning, what is he trying to tell me? What is he trying to communicate with me? I learned about sensory processing and that sometimes he would hold his hands over his ears and squeak and bang his head. Well, that was because there was a loud noise. There was something happening that was setting off his very delicate neurological system. I learned to see everything he did from a perspective of curiosity and wonderment rather than judgment or trying to fix or cure it. And I was encouraged by Dr. Greenspan to enter into my son's world and from Dr. Barry Prezant to understand and see the behaviors as essential communication. I joined my son's world. If he would spin in circles, I would spin with him and make it ring around the rosies. And we'd become, we'd, we'd become playing together. Um, if he would stare and, and go into his own world, I would find what that world was about. For example, there was a time when we would try to walk outside, and he would stop at every single wheel out of every single car, and there was no way we could go for a walk. And at that huh. time, I was still pretty type A and in a hurry, and I would say, come on, we got to get going. we got to keep <laughs> moving, you know? But he would stop at every single wheel, at every single car. And after taking on this approach, I one day got down on the sidewalk with my son, and I looked at the wheel to see what he was looking at. What I saw was that he was looking at the hubcaps, 
And in the hubcap was this magnificent reflection of light from the sun Hmm. that was a kaleidoscope of color. Hmm. And I looked at it and I said, Neil, this is so beautiful. Is this why you've been stopping? And he nodded, hmm. (laughs) And I thanked him because it was so beautiful. Uh We got up. And he never needed to stop at a wheel again. Huh, huh. He just wanted to show that to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I found the more that I would enter his world, the more he would connect with me. Traditional therapists thought that I was a looney tunes. They thought I was crazy, that I was, um, you know, enabling his autism. But all I knew was that I, when I entered his world, I connected with him. And what does any mother want but to connect mm-hmm. with their child? So my world got smaller and smaller and smaller, but richer and richer and richer. And when I would connect with him 20 minutes out of every hour, we would connect, but then he would go back in his world. So mm-hmm. I thought, I need more people to connect with him. And I started training all of my actor, musician, dancer friends how to understand autism. And that's how I developed the seven keys to unlock autism. I would study around the country and learn from the best autism specialists in the world. And then I would bring home what I would learn and train my actor friends, my musician friends. And I would do trades with them. Listen, if you work with, with my son for, for six hours a day, I'll coach you how to get work in the entertainment industry. Because huh. <laughs> that's what I knew how to do. Uh-huh. And that's what I did. And I would coach them. And um, and they would spend time with my son, so we got it up to ten hours a day, seven days a week. They wow. would join my son's world, and I would got the seven keys to unlock autism in a real clear, concise way, and be able to train them. And uh, we had this amazing laboratory in in my in my my uh, uh, playroom at my house. Uh huh. And uh, slowly, inch by inch. My son started to emerge into our world, still with autism, but connected and vibrant and, and uh, social and happy. Hmm. Wow. So, okay. So then what did he go, what about school and, and um, how, as he well, got older, was- what did you do? That's a, a wonderful question and in terms of school. And that's when the, the book, Seven Keys to Unlock Autism, Making Miracles in the Classroom, really helps educators to, to, um, to teach our children. Hmm. But basically, I homeschooled him. I homeschooled him, and he wasn't able to go to a regular school, so I homeschooled him using all this whole way. So we taught him. Um, I had a curriculum from the local kindergarten, and we would take the regular curriculum but modify it and teach it to him creatively. So, for example, he learned his ABCs because we'd put a big, huge letter A on the wall. We'd tape a letter A on the wall, and then we would have a curriculum about he would um, learn that week about apples and make applesauce and learn all the ways a letter A could be used. And we he would 
take bean bags and we'd put the, all the letters after a while around the around the playroom and he would we would say okay take the bean bag to the letter B and he would throw the bean bag at the letter B and slowly started to learn his alphabet and his body parts and we had um, a teacher an evaluator come to our home to make sure that what I was doing was appropriate and he was able to to pass the um, kindergarten uh, you know level grade and in terms of knowing what he needed to know to move on and kept homeschooling him and then gradually he was able to go to a a regular elementary school with an aide, with support, with a one-on-one and this is what led me to the Miracle Project. It was time for me to go back to work. I went through a divorce. I became a single mom with a son with autism and I needed to work. Uh, which is <laughs> yeah. which is so doubly hard, and and of course this is unfortunately what happens in so many families where there are, are autistic children because, um, you know whether it's by natural birth or whether it's adopted or it's just the stress and the um, the guilt and the blame and the just the stress of every day it just gets to be too much for so many marriages it just tears them apart. Yes. Very true. That's very, very true. And I like to say that um, having a, a child with a disability puts miracle grow on the character defects that are already inherent huh. in, in the relationship. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. So I was a um, single mom, and that's a whole other subject I'm, I'm happy to you know talk about is, is how to support a family and how to help the family and, and part of the challenge and why so many families dissolve, I think, is that the community, you know, if you have a child, you know, God forbid you have a child with, um, with an illness, people know what to do. They bake mm-hmm. food for you. They, they um, you know, do grocery shopping. They come to the hospital. They know what to do. You have a child with autism, a lot of people run away. Yes. And then yes. you get divorced and then you lose half your friends, you know? Yes, yes. Which definitely happened to me. There was a lot of people who ran. Huh. But the ones that stayed, those are my heart. Hmm. Wow. And I want to tell your listeners, if you have a friend or relative with a child with autism, you need to go to them and you need to say, how can I help? What can I do? And if you're not one to get on the floor with a child, then be someone who brings in dinner, who whenever you're at the grocery store, say, hey, what can I pick up for you today? Do you need milk? Mm-hmm. You know, use, be, be that friend, be that family member that, that is with that family. It's so important. It makes a difference in a marriage and especially makes a difference for a single mom. Uh-huh. I had friends who would walk my dog for me, who would bring um, Shabbat dinner over for me. Um, their kids, their three- and four- and five-year-old kids became my son's first coaches joining his world. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So, okay, so you were starting to say that that's when you, uh, when you, um, then you realized you had to get back to work, yeah. And I so had to you... go to work, and I did not want to go back in the film industry at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I do some more work now in the film industry, but at that time, um, you know, the hours, the, the, the film crew, you know, up at five and mm-hmm. gone for, you know, 14 hours, and I just didn't want to be away from, from mm-hmm. my son that long. So I didn't know what to do. I, I um, I lost all my spousal support, all my um, minimal child support. I was destitute, basically, and I um, did only thing I knew to do was to pray. And I, I asked, what am I supposed to do? And what happened was a friend 
told me about a grant. Michelle Wolf told me about a grant that was available. And she said, you know, you need to start a theater program for kids with, with uh, disability. And I said, I don't know how to do that. I'm, you know, I'm not a special educator. I'm an acting coach, but I'm not a, you know, a theater company. I don't know what I'm doing. And she said, you've got to do it. And once I realized I've got to work, I have no money, I'm, you know, going to lose everything, I, um, I prayed again. And the, the answer came so clear to me to teach children with disabilities, acting, singing, and dancing. And I wrote a grant in literally 24 hours. Oh. I had friends. Yeah, I had my, my, one of my closest friends, Norma, was at Disneyland reading the, uh, the grant proposal in the in the uh, <laughs> line. <laughs> I had um, uh, other people, you know, Sally Weber reading it at night, and um, it was it was literally due the next day after I found out about the grant. Huh. <laughs> and yeah, and um, I talk about it, you know, in, in in my book about just racing to get it done, uh-huh. and and um, that turned out to be what's now known as the Miracle Project which is a theater and film and expressive arts program for for kids of all abilities. Well, and we're going to talk about that later, and there's an event coming up where people can uh, see the the Emmy-winning movie and so on. But but just to continue with your story about your son, um, so so at what point... So he entered um, a regular school at elementary school in, in what grade? He was in uh, third grade. What happened, this is a a really interesting um, piece in that um, he was in the most severe special ed class. And I knew how smart he was. I knew that at home we were doing all kinds of incredible things with him, and he was learning about volcanoes and science, and he loved bugs, and I knew how smart he was. But he didn't didn't reflect well in the traditional education process. Department and so he was in the most severe special ed uh, program, and I would get calls literally every day. Come get your son. He just one time he picked up the top of the soil the toilet seat and broke it in half, and I, they were having him put blue pegs in blue holes and you know square pegs and square holes, and he would throw it across the room because they weren't they weren't getting him. They just mm-hmm. weren't getting him, mm-hmm. and um, it was pretty dismal. But fortunately, there was a teacher in the third grade who was a a regular ed, third grade class, and she welcomed him in. And he went there with an aide, and she was quite extraordinary and um, was able to go and, with, with support, be with him. The reason it all transpired was that I knew how smart he was. No one else... I mean, mm-hmm. all of us at home knew how smart he was. Mm-hmm. And we had a speech therapist, Darlene Hansen, who was recommended by our doctor, Dr. Ricky Robinson. And Darlene came to our house, and she drew a grid. And it said, um, Clinton, Bush, <laughs> Washington, D.C., vote. And she said, who's the president of the United States? And he pointed immediately to um, to Bush, who was the president, he pointed to Clinton. Where huh. do they live? He pointed to Washington, D.C. Wow. How did they get there? He pointed to vote. And that was the proof I needed. 
he the, how smart he was. Yeah. And we started using a letter board, and we started using communication systems where he could respond to teachers. Um, I, I can go into a, another story about you know fifth grade and fourth grade. Well, how we how very, far how far did he go in, in regular school? Well, um, the next year. He was supposed to go in a fourth grade class, and there was actually a teacher who wrote on a piece of paper, I do not want a boy like that in my class. Wow. Oh. Yep. I do not want a boy like that. I, I, um, I talk about the school, how, how it worked for him um, in, in both Seven Keys, Don't Like Autism, and Now I See the Moon. But um, fortunately, another brilliant teacher, Mr. S., said we would love to have Neil in our class. Huh. And he was in a, a regular fourth and fifth grade class and had friends. And um, Mr. S. used to refer to Neil as the resident expert. Uh-huh. So he went through elementary school um, in, in a regular ed, completely regular ed class with support, with one-on-one support. And uh, then started in middle school, did so well the first year, that the school said he doesn't need an aide anymore. We're just going to have a, a regular, you know, counselor follow him. And that was a big mistake. Mm-hmm. I tried to fight it, but they said, no, no, no. At any rate, um, to be continued. <laughs> <laughs> so is that, uh, no, well, so, well, okay, yes, we do have to have it be continued because, because I'm hearing the music, but... Um, we will come back to Elaine Hall and her story, um, Now I See the Moon, A Mother, A Son, and the Miracle of Autism. We're talking about that today. Um, God, it's like it's going to, the time is going too fast. There's so much I'd love to hear you talk about. Um, so I will sign off so we can get right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Don't 
And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about the miracle of autism with a miracle maker, Elaine Hall. Actually, uh, the woman the New York Times calls the child whisperer, and I think you can see where that came from, not only um, in regard to her own child, Neil, but in regard to the children who she helps with the uh, miracle project that we're going to be talking about. But before, um, I know everybody wants to hear the end of the story as well, so far, he's 21 now. <laughs> the the what's happened from the time that we left off to what he's doing now. But I just want to make sure that I um, get in. First of all, for people who are are not have not ever met um, someone with autism, um, I guess one of the ways you can think about this, if you've seen the um, Big Bang Theory, um, the character Sheldon. Elaine, you do you know Sheldon, right? Of course, one of my favorite shows. Yes, me too. And I, you know, what I love about him, and what I what I love about him, as far as um, you know, he's on the spectrum. I mean, you know, um, we can't precise it much more than that. But um, what I love about him is that, first of all, he's a lovable character. Everybody does, you know, he's he's funny, he's annoying, but he's you know, he's really very lovable. And he shows um, sort of the the autism in every one of us. And you kind of mentioned that at the beginning. I mean, because he's very smart. But he's so socially awkward, and he does and says things that are so outrageous, and yet you know that he's he's coming from this um, position of vulnerability, and so you can't really get mad at him, or at least not for too long. Um, so he's kind of a, a good representation, so to speak, of uh, someone on the autism spectrum. Would you agree? Well, it, it, one, it, one part of the spectrum, you know, absolutely, and I think what you said is so accurate. There's this myth that individuals with autism do not desire connection or want um, relationship and lack an empathy, and it's so not true. I, I, my friends, I have very close friends with, with autism, and a lot of parents, I, I coach parents, and I, I, I coach a lot of kids, you know, young adults with autism, and all of all of our friends and my the kids I coach everyone wants connection they want relationship they have tremendous empathy but like what you said with Sheldon there there may be just some awkwardness and an innocence and it's a matter of us really not getting annoyed but being curious and mm-hmm. and compassionate mm-hmm. to understand the different ways that people process yes all right. Well, let's go back to um, and and I do want to also just make one as as I've talked about. In fact, I did a show about this um, last year around this time um, about the, a case that I was the expert witness uh, for. I was the expert witness for the mother Kelly Stapleton, uh, the mother of, in Michigan who was accused of uh, attempted murder and then child abuse or attempted child abuse of her daughter Izzy. And unfortunately, I mean, she certainly did, um, tried. She, Izzy was diagnosed when she was around the same age as your son. And um, certainly Kelly spent her whole life trying, kind of like you did. But I guess, I don't know whether, um, you know, she didn't run into the same people who could have pointed her in the right direction or what, for whatever reason, um, Izzy grew up <clears throat> and became, you know, was was one thing when she was two years old. Now when she's... Um, 13, 14, she's much bigger than her mother, and um, she became violent. And there is a, you know, we talked about how the, the epidemic, essentially, 
of autism. And not everyone, not only does not everyone get to be in a kind of program or the kind of journey that you took your son on, but not every child on the spectrum um, is as gentle. I mean, there are unfortunately more and more kids who are growing up and becoming big, <laughs> bigger than their parents or bigger than their mother anyway, um, and, and who are violent. And there are absolutely no resources out there for them. I mean, I don't know whether you've worked with any violent children in your Miracle Project, but, um, but I just want to make sure that, that my listeners understand that it's not all um, happy endings or it's not all... Um, as gentle and sweet and, and so on as what you've described. I mean, you spent, you've spent your whole life um, working on helping him and help, helping these other children. And other parents who may not have, have had as many resources, um, I mean, there are so few resources out in the community, but, um, you know, there are pro- more problems than you're, you're talking about. What, Okay, so Dr. Carroll, let me let me just because what you're bringing up is some incredibly important views, but I I want to kind of break it down a little sure. bit. Sure. Um, first of all, the the word violent means to purposefully cause harm. And our well, kids, I mean, okay. my son was I, so I, I, aggressive. Okay, I, we let could me, not have. Let me, let me we, take no, that. Listen, we we could not have. Um, pictures on our walls. He would tear everything off the wall. I had a 911 call to the um, to the, the glass uh, g- company because he was constantly breaking windows. So what 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 we have to learn is that our kids become aggressive because they're trying to communicate something. Yes. And what I've learned long, long ago is all behavior is communication, all behavior. When they would call me from school and say, your son just threw a table across the room, my first question was, what happened right before that? Yes. What's going on that impacts their sensory system? Where are we not understanding their world? My kids that come to the Miracle Project, and I do a lot of consults for um, organizations and helping them become more sensory-friendly and understanding, and I consult with, um, with businesses. I mean, this is a real, what you're saying is really critical, and I think it's so important that you brought it up, that it is the neurotypical, it is our, our um, uh, we must understand what's going on with our friends with autism, our children with autism, because they do grow up. And, and if, they're, if they're not getting the resources, they're not getting the supports, they're not getting the compassion, what started out in a little kid having a temper tantrum can grow That's in a right. young adult that can cause harm. That's and right. I think that the, it's exactly what you're saying, and we—that's um, my seven keys approach. I mean, I, I've been doing this now at universities and 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 basically now all over the world is training people to understand autism from the inside out, so that we can provide the necessary supports, so that things do not go to the extreme of of what happened. I mean, my well, son, we, we, need there's, there's value, we need to clone. We need. We need to. Elaine, we need to clone you um, because I'm, I, the point that I was making, I mean, I certainly wasn't being derogatory towards children or certainly parents with, you know, with children with autism or parents who have autistic children, but, um, but I'm just pointing out the pain that the parents go through. I mean, you know, um, 
um, Kelly is now in jail. She was being she yeah. was being sent to the hospital. She was being yeah. being beaten up every day um, yeah. by her it's by horrible. her daughter. And no, no, and horrible. she yeah. and what my uh, testimony was was about how she was um, she was in a war zone in her home and she developed PTSD and so she was not legally sane at the time that she um, did what she did with with her daughter. Uh, and, and her daughter is alive and, and really has had no consequences from it. But in any case, she is now in jail. And I'm just trying to point out how painful and hard it is um, because there isn't one of you in every school, you know. Um, I, we do need to clone you because, yes, I totally agree that it's, it, it's just like with schizophrenics. You know, yeah. if you understand why they're doing their crazy behavior, um, you can work with them on it and so on. So it's not absolutely, the and and so no, no, I wasn't being critical at all. But it's it's mainly that the pain is profound, mm-hmm. but part of the pain is that the families are not getting the support that they yes, need. Yes, absolutely. And so there's been studies. I mean, it's exactly what you said. There's been studies that have proven um, that moms, parents uh, of of kids with with severe autism have PTSD that is aligned. You said war zone. It's aligned with the same level as those who come back from war. So mm-hmm. what you're saying has been documented. There's data to support that. And that's why, that's why, you know, I'm so, as much as I'm committed to doing my work, and we do replicate the Miracle Project. We're replicating it. I'm going to be doing it at Brown University. We've replicated a number of states across the country. And we're creating a model so that we can um, have this program accessible and available. And, um, but it's exactly what you're saying. We have got to do the right supports. And that's why, again, my program is not about the cure or the research of what causes autism, but it's about what can we do today so that mom does not end up in jail and her daughter does not remain a, a motherless child with, with no support. Mm-hmm, I agree mm-hmm. with you 100%. Well, I want to make sure that we, um, I want you to, in the time that we have left, just tell us a little bit about what the Miracle Project has done, but also, why don't you start with the event that's coming up, because um, oh, people can certainly find out a lot more about the Miracle Project from this event. Absolutely. So, um, what I did is I used the same methodology that uh, I used for my son and trained uh, actors and musicians and dancers to join the world of autism. And we have an expressive arts, theater, and film program for children, teens, and young adults of all abilities. We create original musicals with these kids using their voices. And then we also have a parent support piece where the parents get all the supports that they need so they can have respite, so they can be around other families. And we, we create a live musical, um, one of which was documented in the film Autism the Musical, and that aired on HBO, as, um, as Dr. Carroll said, it won two Emmys, and is now going to be screened in uh, Los Angeles at, um, on Saturday, December 12th. Uh, you can connect with us to get more information at ryan at themiracleproject.org. It's also a fundraiser because it's by donation only, and so we want people to learn about our program and help us create this model so that every child, every family can have the supports and the joy and the hope of the Miracle Project. 
We also invite you to be um, part of our miracle if you want to volunteer, if you want some consultations, if you would like a miracle project in your community, to also email ryan at themiracleproject.org. And I do um, private coaching and private consultations as well. Um, and the, the theater program continues. We, we've... Um, our kids have gone from many kids rolling on the floor, crying, not able to even um, make eye contact, to performing live at the Pantages Theater, um, at uh, Angel Stadium, and we even have some of our kids who guest starred on the TV show Parenthood. Yes, so and uh, even at the... And I get to witness it, you know, every week. Um, and that's our event. We'd love you to be part of it. Or if you can't come, if you're not in, in L.A., send us your email, and we'll keep you informed when we're going to be in your city and other ways that you can participate in the Miracle Project. Um, and then where my son is today, yes, <laughs> uh, we homeschooled him. We used his interests in bugs and nature, and we created an entire curriculum teaching him science, math, um, English, literature, through the means of um, bugs and botany and gardening, and he uh, has a job. He's still nonverbal. He communicates using his iPad, and um, I can tell you all about the systems that we use and all of that, and he actually presented using a PowerPoint presentation in front of 400 people (laughs) at the United Nations. Oh, wow. Wow. So he has a job. He's a semi-professional model. He loves posing for photos. <laughs> <laughs> and his favorite job is he works in an organic garden oh, as, wow. a, as a gardener. And, you know, he always would play with bugs and hold bugs and let them fly. And he was able to type when he was um, 17 years old that his dream is to be an organic gardener. So he is living his dream. Ah, oh, well, you know, those are such perfect things. It's so, it's so interesting because he was so adorable as this little toddler, which is yeah. part of what drew you to him in the first place. And modeling, you don't have to talk. And then, of course, gardening and organic. Ah, oh, it's, you know, you just created such a perfect trajectory for him. And, um, and, and for other children. So I want to say again, um, well, first of all, the, Website in general is themiracleproject.org, and if you want to connect with someone there, either to buy tickets for this Saturday, December 12th at 7 p.m. in Los Angeles, um, you can do that. I mean, it's not necessarily buy tickets, it's, it's a donation, um, but right. a suggested $20 donation, but everybody is welcome. But, but email ryan, R-Y-A-N, at themiracleproject.org, and uh, just go to that website altogether and find out so much more about what this organization does. You can volunteer, um, of course you can donate, <laughs> but you can volunteer, and I, I just, um, I really commend you. I mean, it, it's, you, little did you know when you um, first saw thought to, when you stepped on the plane to go to Russia, little did you know, or even when you first saw him in the video, um, that this was going to change your life, and certainly for the better. It's, you know, so exactly right. I used to say that all I wanted was normal. Today I know that normal is just a dial on the washing machine, (laughs) and my life is extraordinary. And we all thank you. As I said, we need to clone you, because there are (laughs) so many people needing this, and I know it's great that uh, that this is, is a project 
that is serving as a as a um, a template for so many other places all over the globe, and and that's and that's what you're teaching. So thank you so much, Elaine Hall. Again, the website is themiracleproject.org. So thank you very much for sharing your story and for sharing your work. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.